from the WILK studios in Pittston, Pennsylvania. Welcome to Sharing Recovery. Straight talk on today's struggles of addiction and triumphs of recovery. Recovery is possible. Sharing Recovery is sponsored by Clearbrook Treatment Center, Serenity Lodge, Attorney Jason Mattioli, and Archstone Recovery Center. We welcome your calls with questions or comments. Call 570-883-0098 or 1-800-437-0098. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of Intercom Communications staff, management, or sponsors. Here are your hosts, Suzanne Kelly and Jack Kropp. Hello and welcome to Sharing Recovery. We're happy you chose to spend time with us this afternoon. I'm Suzanne Kelly and fellow host Jack Kropp is with me. And last month, Jack celebrated 19 years of recovery. Go Jack. Sharing Recovery is about help, hope, and healing. Now, we believe that recovery is possible, but we also know that too often, silence equals death. Today, we welcome Karen and Mary Ellen to our show. Uh, Karen is in recovery for eight months. Mary Ellen is a licensed clinical social worker and certified advanced alcohol and drug counselor in Dixon City, Pennsylvania. Mary Ellen has been in recovery for 18 years. She recently published her book, 12 Steps on the Rocks with a Twist, A Few Sips of Early Recovery. Now, you are listeners and you on Facebook and you following us on Twitter. You are very important to us. And we invite you to be part of today's conversation. You can reach us by calling 570-883-0098 or 1-800-437-0098. On Twitter, we are at Share Recovery. On Facebook, Sharing Recovery Radio. Hello and welcome to to Sharing Recovery. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, Karen. I, I wanted to, to start with you. Um, you told us before um, we went on the air that you are now in eight months recovery. You celebrated today, and we're curious to know. And if you would please share with us a little bit about your background, how you started um, using whether it be alcohol, drugs, or dual. Um, can you take us back to that first time? Sure. Um, well, I've always really kind of drank, um, even in my 20s, 30s, and so forth. Just within the past three years or so, I'd have to say it really got kind of bad. Um, it was more of a binge drinking. It wasn't an everyday wake up and then start and just go the whole day or sit in the bar for a couple of hours. It was um, any free time when I'd get home from work or the weekends. Um, I wanted to just hide and just get away from everything, anything that bothered me. And when I did start to drink, it wasn't just one. It was one after the other from the minute I opened the bottle until the minute I either went to bed or um, pretty much um, blacked out. And it became an everyday occurrence. And it wasn't just an occurrence. It actually was ended up being work um, more than anything in my life, which was, which was rough, to be honest. Um, there wasn't anything that was good about it. It, um, it took over a lot of stuff in my life. It um, really um, had a very big impact on everything that I did in my life. And it was just, um, like I said, within the last three years, it just it consumed everything. It, it, like I said, with binge drinking for myself, it was get it in, you know, get that drink. And once that one was done, just pour the other and pour the other. It just never stopped. You know, it just seemed like I had to make up for lost time for the day or if it was on the weekend, it was like <clears throat> just, um, okay, well, I have a free day. I have the whole day, do what I need to do and get to the point where I just wanted to, okay, I'll sit down, relax, have one. Well, it was never just that one. It was, well, well, I'll just sit a little more, have another. Things that were planned for the day never got finished. A lot of stuff like that started to affect everything in my life. So when you were saying that it became work, um, it lost its pleasure. I mean, it was it something did. that you did and you didn't really get any any good feelings, no satisfaction. No, there was no satisfaction after a while. It wasn't like just going to a party and having a few drinks and you know enjoying yourself. It was more of, um, to be honest, it was more of like um, um, a task. It was something that I would start and 
um, it would never finish until, like I said, it was either pass out, um, blackout, or go to bed. And it became so obsessive with everything I did. I put that before everything. It was very um, uh, overcoming. Um, I never really got finished with a lot of things that I started throughout the day, you know. And even after after coming home, and it, it, it wasn't it wasn't even just an excuse. It was you know it was whether it was a bad day, a good day, a rainy day, a sunny day. It didn't matter. Everything was okay. Let's have a drink for it. You know, that's just pretty much how it became such an obsession that it wasn't fun. It was just, I needed it, you know, or I'd get up and go to, uh, even grocery shopping became like, well, okay, we're going to put the drink first. Mm -hmm. Not that we would drink before we went grocery shopping, but it was on the list first before anything. So it became more of, yes, definitely obsession, definitely a task that I couldn't go throughout the day without having that drink. And it wasn't even fun because I drank alone. I drank by myself for a good portion of my drinking. So it wasn't like I was with other people. It wasn't a social thing. Correct, correct. Maybe. It was more of myself um, behind closed doors in my own home. Uh, didn't really, I didn't go out to have the fun of, you know, listening to a band or going to a concert, you know, it was just, and even if I did, I would have one or two and then it was like, okay, let's go home because you're home, you're safe, you're in your own house, there's no driving, you're just there. <clears throat> and that's where it just kind of really took over because if I didn't have it, then it was like climbing the walls. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mary Ellen, how about you? What was your first time? And can you kind of give us an idea of when it started to snowball for you? Yeah, I would say, um, God, I couldn't even tell you my first time. I was a teenager, young. Um, you know, back then in the 80s in high school, we thought that's what everybody did, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and then... There were times when it would get really crazy in my 20s and I would stop, but I wouldn't identify myself as in, you know, recovery. I would kind of boast that, you know, I'm sober. I don't drink. Um, but I never really worked any program or any did anything. And I had a, quite a number of years, I guess you would say, as a dry drunk. So then back in, I guess it was 98, um, I decided to pack up my life. I was not drinking at that time. Um, and I moved to Florida. And I was down in St. Pete, Florida. And I'll never forget when I picked up my first drink, I was working in the kitchen at a bar on the beach. And the two women who owned it got a, a loan that they wanted to be able to keep the bar restaurant open. And they popped open a thing of champagne. And my disease had me convinced that it was absolutely okay for me to have a drink of champagne um, to celebrate with them. And from that point on, um, I went hard, I went fast. Um, that was probably in like June or July, and by December, even before that, I mean, I was a mess. I stopped going to work. Um, it really it became unmanageable. Um, Can we back up a little bit? Can yeah. you help our listeners um, get a better understanding of what is a dry drunk? Uh, uh, someone who just doesn't drink, but, uh, you know, doesn't look at themselves. My definition of a dry drunk, who's just an angry person because they don't drink. Um, and that they're not working on trying to go deeper with what's going on for them and their disease of addiction. And, you know, in my case, Mary Ellen, um, I came to a recovery program in 1998. Mm -hmm. But I didn't surrender to that program and that form of recovery until much later, 2006 or 2007. Mm -hmm. I spent eight years occasionally attending meetings, occasionally talking to what we call a sponsor, but never ever giving in and finally surrendering. And, and I found myself in a difficult situation one day and through that situation I said, now what God? Right. And that was the first time, and that happened while I was in prison. I was in prison when that occurred, but I said, now what God? And that, when I came home, I, I came home a few months after that and I, that was when I first decided that I, I needed to do something more than just not drink, because just not drinking is awful, uh -huh. you know, and, and that, that's just, it's an awful place to be. The world around you isn't getting better, or in your perception, the world is around you staying the same, but nothing's getting better. But now I have nothing to deal with my feelings, my emotions, my problems. Right. And it's just dry drunk is, is just a horrible, horrible, it's worse than being drunk. Yeah, you know, I mean, when I was working on my master's at Marywood, I was in a dry drunk phase. 
looking back now, I probably took, instead of drinking, I, I lived school and work. You know, one obsession was replaced okay. by another yeah. obsession. But I'll be honest with you, but before I even graduated, I fell off the wagon my last year at Marywood. Um, you know, there's a number of spots in my life where I was really sick with my disease. You know, I look back, I would make a pot of coffee in the morning, but I would only make half a pot because the other half I would pour Kahlua right in. And in my diseased mind, I was just getting a cup of coffee. Right. Well. You know, which is for some people really hard to imagine. They, they can't fathom that. Um, I can't imagine drinking Kahlua. <laughs> but it wasn't. It was coffee. In my head, it was coffee. Why bother? <laughs> okay, we're going to be right back. Uh, we need to take a short break. Uh, please stay with us. Since 1972, Clearbrook Treatment Center has been providing successful treatment for those suffering from substance abuse. Clearbrook's medical program provides round-the-clock care and treatment from a licensed and specialized medical team. Clearbrook's approach to addiction is largely based upon the proven practices of Alcoholics Anonymous. Pastoral services are available to patients seeking spiritual guidance. Call Clearbrook today at 570-260-2600. Jason Mattioli is a personal injury and criminal defense lawyer prepared to fight for you. Attorney Mattioli has an exceptional record of defending the rights of those arrested for DUI and drug offenses. He also represents victims of tractor-trailer and automobile accidents, premises liability, product defects, and work-related accidents. If you or a loved one has been arrested or injured, call Attorney Mattioli at 570-961-1616. Archstone Recovery Center of the Palm Beaches provides addiction treatment centered within a small, personal, community-type setting. For nearly two decades, Archstone has helped thousands suffering from alcohol and chemical dependencies recover and regain control of their lives. Archstone's medical, clinical, and support staff provide the highest level of professional treatment and individualized care. Call Archstone Recovery Center at 855 855- 899-2292. Serenity Lodge is a safe, structured, supervised, sober living community for young men located in the beautiful mountains of Susquehanna County, Pennsylvania. Serenity Lodge has perfected the missing piece between addiction treatment and real life. Serenity Lodge teaches how to use the principles of recovery along with age-appropriate life skills. Call Serenity Lodge today at 570-650-8205. Welcome back to Sharing Recovery. Straight talk on today's struggles of addiction and triumphs of recovery. Recovery is possible. We welcome your calls with questions or comments. Call 570-883-0098 or 1-800-437-0098. Here are your hosts, Suzanne Kelly and Jack Kropp. And welcome back to Sharing Recovery. Uh, today's topic is women in recovery. And we have with us in the studios, we have Karen and Mary Ellen. Before the break, we were talking about something that's called a dry drunk and um, what a dry drunk is. And you stop drinking, you stop using, but you're really not taking those steps, those next steps to improve the quality of your life and to do self-reflection and, and all the work that really is necessary uh, for you to stay in recovery. Um, Karen, did you go through that phase, a dry drunk? Did you ever just stop drinking for a period, but yet there was that angst, there was something still missing that you were looking to fill a void? Actually, no. I never um, did go through the dry drunk period. I've heard a lot of people talk about it, and I've heard experiences on it, but that's one thing that I never did. I never really tried to stop at any one given time and just say, okay, let me try to do this myself and see where it would take me. So I pretty much just drank continuously. I didn't even give it a shot at any time that I was drinking. And, and you know, addiction, as I know it, has changed dramatically in the 19 years I've been in recovery. You know, a a person using opiates, they're they're not in a dry drunk phase. I mean, you just don't stop using opiates one day and say, I'm not going to use this for a week or two and, and go into that phase because of withdrawal and, and, and the stuff that happens when we stop, when we're not supervised, if we're not supervised as we remove ourselves from the opiates, 
it, it can be very, very dangerous. And removing ourselves from alcohol just by stopping is dangerous. But uh-huh. the addiction has changed dramatically. I mean, we hear everybody talking about this opiate crisis that we're in right now. And, and that that's what has occurred in the last 19 years, a change. And Mary Ellen, I mean, where are we today in addiction? I mean, you know, I think one of the things we need to be really careful of is all the attention the opiates get. Not to minimize it, but there's just as many people abusing benzos and Ativan and Percocets and, and... And alcohol. You know, alcohol, and they're combining them, and it's a deadly combination. There's quite a number of people who are, you know, stuck on the Clonopin, Xanax. Mm-hmm. And I love the fact that we're giving it so much attention, the, the opioid epidemic, because we're losing people constantly. Um, it's it's a horrific epidemic, but in my book I even mentioned like don't close your eyes to all of these other substances that people are abusing because people are dying every day. Right. So now here we are. We're in recovery, and, and Karen, what was that final straw that pushed you to say, "I need help"? Was it an employer, a loved one, a family member? What what caused this that you said, "Okay, I'm going to stop now"? Um, there were. Quite a few times, I have to say. Um, it wasn't anybody except a lot of speaking with my son. I have only one son, and he would sit me down a lot of times and, and talk to me. And, you know, there was tear-filled times and emotional times, and that didn't even make me want to stop. And one day, and I couldn't even pinpoint it, Jack, to tell you the truth, what actually made me stop. Um, it wasn't like I, I woke up one morning and... You know, the alarm clock went off and said, that's it, I'm going to stop, I'm going to get help, and I'm going to seek recovery, and everything's going to be fine today. I drank that day, and um, just like any other day, and later in the evening, it was just something, somehow, some door opened, and finally, something hit me in the heart or over the head and said, you need help. You cannot do this alone, you cannot... I've, you know, the, the thought in my head was reoccurring after a while to say, you know what, you really need to stop. You know, you really need to get back on track with your life. You need to focus on your family, on your living, on everything that you seem to have just either put aside or destroyed. So it wasn't a person in particular that made my mind up. It was... It was a sign, I, I think. I really do. It was like an opening of another door. It wasn't even, um, it was It was just an opportunity that came out, and I don't know where it came from. And I picked up the phone, and I made a phone call, and that was my first step. It wasn't anybody pressuring me or saying, you have to do this. I learned um, in my earlier time of, of, of alcohol drinking was that, I'm the only one who needs to change my life. I'm the only one that could make that first step. I could listen to everybody and anybody, but until I as a person am actually determined and willing to get the help that I need, um, I'm the one to make that decision. I've listened to and watched so many commercials on television, you know, to reach out loved ones and so on and so forth and all of the talks and, and the listening to everybody. but. Actually, what it comes down to in my heart is that when you're really ready and you know you're, you know, somehow you know inside yourself to make that first step, you will. Well, and, I'm, oh, I'm sorry, Karen. I thought you were done. I, I am. I'm done. But thanks, Jack. In, in my case, I had no intention. Uh, I didn't intend to stop drinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, I woke up one morning and, and Sylvia said to me, either get help or get out. And I said, Sure. I mean, that's not even that big a deal in my mind. I'll go get help. And that was on a Wednesday. On Friday, I went to a meeting at noontime in a recovery group. And I haven't had a drink since. But it wasn't my intention to walk in that room and stop drinking. Now, that's my point that I try to make all the time to people, that everybody's path to recovery is different. Oh, yeah. There is not one, Mm -hmm. there's not one path. Everybody's path is different. How did you get here, Mary? You know, I, um... Geez, I, I can remember it like it was yesterday. I woke up on uh, New Year's Day, 1999, in my crooked little apartment by myself in my dingy little dump of a place in St. Pete, Florida. And I woke up thinking, if I keep doing this, I am going to be dead. I can remember going out for New Year's Eve. I can remember the bartender, what I drank. But then at some point, blackout came. 
And then the next thing I knew, I was waking up in my little crooked apartment. Um, and that's all I kept thinking. I mean, I felt like junk. And it was, if I keep doing this, I am going to die. Mm-hmm. And that was it for me. You know, I, I mentioned it in the book how, for me, I woke up and I couldn't remember if I had taken my underwear off to go to the bathroom the night before. <laughs> and some people laugh at that. But for me, that was like just disgusting. Yeah. It was like, yep. I can't believe I was that out of it that I can't even remember a simple thing like that. And then it was just, that's it, I'm done. Now, you mentioned blackout. Um, I was in, in a meeting one time and a guy came up to me after the meeting. He said, did you ever have a blackout? I said, I had one blackout. He said, really? And you came here? I said, my blackout was 1968 to 1990. Right. I mean, I blacked out a whole 30 years. This wasn't, I had no idea before I came to recovery what a blackout was. I just thought that, yeah, I had blackouts every time I drank. Mm -hmm. And I drank on a daily basis. I wasn't like Karen. I didn't go home and sit home and have drinks. I went to a bar every day of the week. And, And I talk a lot about, I'm not a real social person. In fact, I have social anxiety. I don't like crowds. I don't like being around people. And I'd walk in a bar every day of the week. But I was alone in that bar. And that's hard for some people to understand that. Yeah, the bar had 100 people, but I was alone. I went there alone. I left there alone. And I was in there alone. And and I liked being alone. So... I just actually, when my mind just went blank. See, I just had another blackout. But I didn't know, I didn't know that's what a blackout was. I just knew I went to bed at night, drunk, passed out. I got up and went to work the next day and had no clue what I did the night before. I had to call somebody mm-hmm. all the time. And I'd call them and i say, Gary, where were we last night? What went on? And, and what did I do? And he'd say to me, you don't really want me to tell you what you did. And I, most of the time I'd say, yeah, tell me. And I go, oh, geez, so we'll go to a different bar today. Mm-hmm. But that, that's, that's what it was like for me was but see, life was a blackout. I liked being alone because then I didn't have to be accountable to anybody. Right. I had nobody telling Correct. me you're drinking too much or you're a mess or you need help. You know, I tried to keep that face up. You know, I would go to work. I reeked. I, I was working for the state of Florida. I, I would walk in that office and my coworkers would look at me and I knew they could smell the booze coming out of my, you know, my, my skin. But I wasn't alone. I had a wife and three kids and right. a business to run. But I, I, to this day, I can't tell you what I was trying to escape. Because I hear, we, we all hear people talk about how their family was dysfunctional or they didn't feel like they fit in or something wasn't right. I never felt that way. Right. Okay. From the time I was a little kid... I thought I was the center of attention. I thought everybody wanted to be like me. You know, you, you talk about escaping and, and you, know, you know, my family or this or, or, you know, the excuses. But we have a question um, from on our Facebook page. And the question that Linda um, poses is very good. Uh, with drugs and alcohol use versus abuse, is it really considered a disease or is it addiction? I mean, is this a disease? Mary Ellen? You know, without a doubt, I, I, it's a disease. It's a disease. You know, there's enough research out there now to show that there's a genetic component within the CAT scan and MRI studies to show that in the deeper part of the brain, there is something different about those of us who have this disease of addiction. And then do you run um, into your practice? Do you have um, those who use it as an excuse then? Well, I have this disease and there's nothing I can do because I'm predisposed, so I'm just going to keep doing it. Oh, sure. And then, you know, we give the, the usual, well, if it was cancer, you have a choice. You have a choice. You know, nobody asks for cancer. Well, nobody asks to be an addict, but we have choices. You can choose to go for chemo. You can choose to follow doctor's orders. Well, I can choose as an addict to go for treatment. I can choose to go to recovery programs. So it's a big debate. Some people will say, how could you compare it to cancer or diabetes? It's a disease. Do you think it's safe to say that every one of us, and by one of us, I mean collectively, those listening, those watching right now, uh, do you think it's safe to say that we all know an addict, whether we know it or not? Without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. It's, for me, doing this as many years as I have, for as silly as it sounds, it makes me nervous just to drive down 81 because there's so many people who abuse benzos and opiates. And there's just, it touches every single person's life. And the person who is sitting there thinking, oh, not me, you would be shocked because guess what? 
it does touch your life as well. Somebody you know is abusing. We're going to start to uh, talk a little bit more about your book because you've, you've <laughs> said just some fascinating, some fascinating things um, that we want to share with all of our listeners and our viewers. We do need to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Archstone Recovery Center of the Palm Beaches provides addiction treatment centered within a small, personal, community-type setting. For nearly two decades, Archstone has helped thousands suffering from alcohol and chemical dependencies recover and regain control of their lives. Archstone's medical, clinical, and support staff provide the highest level of professional treatment and individualized care. Call Archstone Recovery Center at 855 855- Eight nine nine two two nine two. Jason Mattioli is a personal injury and criminal defense lawyer prepared to fight for you. Attorney Mattioli has an exceptional record of defending the rights of those arrested for DUI and drug offenses. He also represents victims of tractor trailer and automobile accidents, premises liability, product defects, and work-related accidents. If you or a loved one has been arrested or injured, call Attorney Mattioli at 570-961-1616. Serenity Lodge is a safe, structured, supervised, sober living community for young men located in the beautiful mountains of Susquehanna County, Pennsylvania. Serenity Lodge has perfected the missing piece between addiction treatment and real life. Serenity Lodge teaches how to use the principles of recovery along with age-appropriate life skills. Call Serenity Lodge today at 570-650-8205. Since 1972, Clearbrook Treatment Center has been providing successful treatment for those suffering from substance abuse. Clearbrook's medical program provides round-the-clock care and treatment from a licensed and specialized medical team. Clearbrook's approach to addiction is largely based upon the proven practices of Alcoholics Anonymous. Pastoral services are available to patients seeking spiritual guidance. Call Clearbrook today at 570-260-2600. This is WYLK, powered by Sherwood Chevrolet Buick GMC, online at Sherwood Chevrolet. Welcome back to Sharing Recovery. Straight talk on today's struggles of addiction and triumphs of recovery. Recovery is possible. We welcome your calls with questions or comments. Call 570-883-0098 or 1-800-437-0098. Here are your hosts, Suzanne Kelly and Jack Kropp. And welcome back to Sharing Recovery. Um, We're going to talk um, in a little bit about Mary Ellen's book, 12 Steps on the Rocks with a Twist, A Few Sips of Early Recovery. And what I found very, very um, fascinating about Mary Ellen's book is the the few sips of early recovery. And and Karen, I want to start with you. Now, you have been in recovery for eight months. Correct. Has it been a cakewalk? Uh, by no means. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that's for sure. No cake mock here. Yes, it's a, it's a day-by-day process. Um, it's every 24, every 24 hours. I've learned that. You, uh, you can't fast forward or speed ahead. Some days are, are good. Some days are bad. Some days you have to go minute by minute, second by second. It all depends. Um, it's... Uh, well, Karen, how did you get started in recovery? Did you go to a treatment program? I did go to a treatment program um, because I knew I couldn't stop by myself. I knew I needed the help of others to start the, uh, the, the recovery process. There would be no way that I could actually stop on my own. And then from there, um, I didn't know what I was in for. Um, they start talking about sponsors and meetings and aftercare. And I'm like, oh boy, what is all this? You know, I, I went in with such a, a blind mind. I had no clue what I was walking into when I walked through the doors of recovery. And I'll tell you what, it was the best thing in my life that I, I, I could have done for myself. And when I got out and I started to go to my meetings, um, meetings are, are the backbone, you know, as far as, as I'm concerned. And um, regardless, if you go to uh, meetings, if you think, oh, I'll go for a couple of years, I'll be fine. Um, this is a lifelong commitment. You know, if you really want to stay sober and, you know, live a peaceful life, you have to maintain. It's, it's maintenance every day. Um, the prayers, the sayings, the, the sponsors, the people to reach out to, the phone calls to make. They're so important to stay where you're at right now. It is so easy, I believe, that you can just, you know, 
relapse and, and turn the wrong way in an instant. If you don't continuously get the help and support that you need, um, I myself go to at least five meetings a week. Um, going over the steps with my sponsors, um, you know, reaching out to people because that's my support system and a good support system for everybody who's in the recovery process. I believe, you know, there's, there's hope and you really, you know, I've learned so much that really what really sticks with me, like I said before, is every 24 hours, you know, don't wake up and think you're going to, you know, take over a whole week in one handful. It just doesn't work that way, at least in my eyes. When I went to my first recovery meeting, there was a, a fellow there that I hadn't seen. I had known him all my life. His name was Sammy Ag, and he's passed away from cancer, so I don't mind saying his name. He came into that meeting, and, and when that meeting ended, he said, I need to talk to you. And he said, uh, Here, here's all I'm going to say to you. And he said, this is all you need for today is don't drink and come back tomorrow. And that was so simple. And that's how things have to be for me. I, I mean, I, I spent my life in the landscaping business, and everything was on a drawing. There was no thinking involved. Put tree A in hole A. It was simple. And that's how I like things. And he said to me, just don't drink and come back tomorrow. And that's how I got started, by, by that, simple, that simple mantra for me made... I still repeat it. Karen, you've heard me say it. I mean, yes, I, I, I still to. repeat it mm -hmm. every day of the week. Uh, because that is how I did it. It's just, I didn't drink that one day and I met him the next day at a church and I went to another meeting and he said, okay, no, we're just not gonna drink today and we're gonna do it again tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And that's how I got started. Again, I emphasize this all the time. That's how I did it. Right. My program of recovery and your program of recovery don't have to be the same. And they, and they aren't the same, they're, they're different. Everybody's recovery program is different. But you have to work a program. And, it, and it can, I can't work Jack's program. I can't wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and say, okay, Jack, what are we doing today? And that's where I, I go to the next step in my recovery is, and this is going to confuse some of the listeners because they're not going to know who Dr. Bob is. <laughs> Dr. Bob and Bill Wilson found a recovery program, which will remain nameless here. But Dr. Bob wrote a prescription. And Dr. Bob's prescription made it so simple for me. It, it was clean house. So I talk to people every day about what's going on in my life. Trust God. Well, I'm telling you, I did not intend to stop drinking. I mean, I'm Irish Catholic. It's a birthright to be shit-faced every day. So somebody helped me stop drinking beyond me and then help others. And the help others part is actually where this show came from, and it's how I try to live my life on a daily basis. And there are people out there listening that know me from 20 years ago that don't believe that. And that's okay. I'm not, I'm not, that doesn't bother me. Today, I try and help people every day. So that's how my recovery program works, and that's how it started for me. Marilyn, what was like for you in the beginning? I really simplified my life once I decided to stop. Um, I became a housekeeper. I was probably the most educated toilet scrubber in Pinellas <laughs> County, Florida. I knew I needed to keep things simple. I knew I needed to focus on myself and my recovery. Um, and down there, there was a great little place called Rebos, which is sober backwards. I don't think it's there anymore, but it was a sober club. And I eventually got a job next to this sober club and then it kind of became my second office. I, I ran a drug and alcohol rehab for adolescents. And uh, half the time I would spend over at Rebos hanging out with um, people in recovery, doing my book work and, and just the different work I had to do for my job. I'd sit in on a meeting at noon. I'd go back over to, to the uh, academy, which is the school that the boys and girls were in. And uh, I just got real involved, more involved than I ever imagined I would, more involved than I had anticipated because, boy, it felt good. It oh. felt good to have that faith and to have that support. Now, 18 years later, yeah. <laughs> do you still take one day at a time? Oh, my gosh. Sometimes I take it minute by minute. Okay. Yeah. It's constant work in progress. I'm do you not, still participate in a program? Today? You know what? I do, but because of my job and confidentiality, um, when I was doing it in St. Pete, it was a little easier because it was a city. And so I got uh, a real big lesson when I moved back here uh, in small town USA. And I learned to use online um, meetings so that I can kind of be Mary Ellen, 
the recovering alcoholic and not Mary Ellen, the licensed clinical social worker, but, 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 you know, I don't claim to be an expert. I don't claim to be the guru. Um, I'm somebody with a bunch of letters behind my name, a whole lot of education and who's also an alcoholic and a drug addict. So for me, I've, I've learned it's best to use my supports, do my readings and my prayer and that kind of daily routine but also for my meetings, use online. Uh, okay, groups. so just the point I was making that everybody's recovery program, everybody's is different, is tailored for them. Yep, and they use the tools that they have and they are comfortable with. Yeah, and and that's what I'm trying to tell the community. Don't be frightened by this. Don't be frightened that there's a, a structure, that there's a menu or a, a, a class plan that you must do these things to recover. What you must do is ask for help. That That's the first, that's the oh, yeah. most important mm-hmm. thing is if you're out there listening to this show and you're saying, well, that's great for them or that she has all those degrees or Karen has a job. I don't have any of that stuff. How do I get help? By asking, by saying I need help. How, how do I get help? Yeah. And, and where do we go to get started with help? I, I think asking for help, but also being open-minded. Mm-hmm. Open-minded was probably one of the biggest parts that helped me um, get, you know, into my recovery. Instead of thinking that, you know, your way is wrong or I can do it better or I don't need people, you know, and that talks about the strongest person is the one who's able to ask for help. But the next piece of that is be open-minded to doing it another way. And we we also know um, all too well about the secrecy and the shame. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, And as a society, there's still that Mm -hmm. that shame, Um, you know, not in my family, you know, not in my backyard, that sort of thing. So so how, you know, how do you recommend or, or what was it that allowed you to get past the shame factor? Did you feel shame? Karen, were you worried about what people thought or how they reacted to you or the stigma of addiction? I yeah. Mean, did it affect you? In the beginning, yes, it did affect me. I felt that I just wanted to be in my own little shell, even when it came to recovery. I didn't feel that I wanted to just burst out and just tell everybody, you know, it wasn't like a big party or a picnic. Um, I, I was. I was uh, a little lenient about just opening up to everything. But then when I had to face the fact that this is reality, this is my life. And this is, you know, if people like me the way I am and, you know, still want to be my friend and and family who's supported me so much. And I do have a lot of friends that actually have been there for me. um, I I now have been more open with it. But in the beginning, no, I I wasn't, Jack. I was very like... uh, I was very shy about it. You know, I was, almost, I was really embarrassed, to be honest. Well, and I hear lots of people uh, say they don't want anybody to know they're in recovery and they don't want anybody to know they have this problem. And my answer to that is I really didn't care if people saw me laying on the floor of a bar room. Yep, right. You know, people see me laying in my front yard because the limo pulled up in front of my house and they, my guy, the guys rolled me out and I was laying in the grass. Or, you know, there was one night I made it to my backyard and... And uh, Sylvia just left me lay there. And I woke up the next morning with a drink in my hand and I just started up again. And, and, and I didn't care about any of that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be ashamed to have somebody see me go into an a, I mean, a recovery meeting. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not. I, I try to be as open with people as I can. And I'm trying to remove the stigma of addiction as little. And not that I have the power to do that. But if I just keep telling people about me and I tell people about my daughter, who's also in recovery, you know, let people know that. It's not the guy under the bridge. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's right. doctors, there's lawyers, there's teachers, there's nurses, there's truck drivers. I mean, I know a guy that, that's a welder on a nuclear power plant, and, and he's doing opiates every day. You know, it's like it's everywhere, it's, and, and there's nothing to be ashamed of. There's, we, have, we have a problem. We, we have to get better. But the first word in recovery is we. Mm-hmm. I can't do right. this alone. I can't do this like looking in the mirror and just wake up and look in the mirror and say, okay, today we're not going to be an addict. Today we're going to be recovered. Mm-hmm. That's just not possible. I need to help. This show, you people, everybody needs to help others. And, and that's that's how I look at this every day. Mary Ellen, did you write the book to help? You know, it was kind of interesting. The book initially started as, my, as a blog. Okay. I, I have a blog with the same title. Um, and... The first entry was more of an emotional reaction to a a speaker that I heard about um, the legalization of marijuana. Then it kind of just became this weekly thing. And then I thought, you know what? 
I need to put all this stuff together. Yeah. Uh, I'm an addict. I can be selfish. Part of that blog and part of that book helped me stay sober during a, probably one of the roughest years. But then I thought to myself, with my experiences, I could be able to help somebody else hopefully you know, get on the road to recovery or get through one more day or one more hour um, just by my own experiences, you know, my headstone's not going to say the best therapist or, you know, the best, you know, addictions counselor. It's going to say sister, daughter, you know, um, friend. And so it was important for me to look at those titles that I carry and go, I need to be the best person I can be as like that, you know, in those realms. Okay. Uh, we're going to talk more about your book. Uh, we're going to be wrapping up the show in only 10 minutes, but we do need to take a quick break. Uh, please stay with us. We'll be right back. Serenity Lodge is a safe, structured, supervised, sober living community for young men located in the beautiful mountains of Susquehanna County, Pennsylvania. Serenity Lodge has perfected the missing piece between addiction treatment and real life. Serenity Lodge teaches how to use the principles of recovery along with age-appropriate life skills. Call Serenity Lodge today at 570-650-8205. Since 1972, Clearbrook Treatment Center has been providing successful treatment for those suffering from substance abuse. Clearbrook's medical program provides round-the-clock care and treatment from a licensed and specialized medical team. Clearbrook's approach to addiction is largely based upon the proven practices of Alcoholics Anonymous. Pastoral services are available to patients seeking spiritual guidance. Call Clearbrook today at 570-260-2600. Jason Mattioli is a personal injury and criminal defense lawyer prepared to fight for you. Attorney Mattioli has an exceptional record of defending the rights of those arrested for DUI and drug offenses. He also represents victims of tractor trailer and automobile accidents, premises liability, product defects, and work-related accidents. If you or a loved one has been arrested or injured, call attorney Mattioli at 570-961- 1616. Archstone Recovery Center of the Palm Beaches provides addiction treatment centered within a small, personal, community-type setting. For nearly two decades, Archstone has helped thousands suffering from alcohol and chemical dependencies recover and regain control of their lives. Archstone's medical, clinical, and support staff provide the highest level of professional treatment and individualized care. Call Archstone Recovery Center at 855-899-2292. Hi, this is Frank Andrews. I've been a radio talk host, television news reporter and anchor. I was a state lawmaker, probably in your living room for many years. It's good to be back to talk to you about the issues that affect you and your family. So whether it's local politics, national news, or just the stuff you talk about at work or at your dining room table or on your ride home, let's discuss it weekdays from 3 to 6 right here on WILK News Radio. The Frank Andrews Show starts Monday, October 30th on WILK News Radio. Welcome back to Sharing Recovery. Straight talk on today's struggles of addiction and triumphs of recovery. Recovery is possible. We welcome your calls with questions or comments. Call 570-883-0098 or 1-800-437-0098. Here are your hosts, Suzanne Kelly and Jack Kropp. And welcome back to Sharing Recovery. Today's topic is women in recovery. Uh, Mary Ellen, I want to um, ask you this question and kind of get some of your feedback um, because in your book, you you know, you write about how um, those with interests want to uh, push ahead uh, using miracle metal, marijuana, or mm-hmm. having uh, marijuana be you know more available throughout throughout the states. Um, on Thursday, uh, from the Associated Press, uh, Ross Franklin wrote a piece: uh, pharmaceutical founder arrested uh-huh. in alleged nationwide opium scheme. Now, this is a billionaire with a B. Yep. Billionaire founder of Insys Therapeutics, John Kapoor, um, basically is accused of conspiring to bribe doctors with large numbers to write large numbers of prescriptions for a very potent drug for cancer patients, yet these patients don't have cancer. Mm -hmm. So when you're looking at at 
partnering with physicians to help you or you put your trust in physicians or, or any professional um, for the betterment of your health. You're up against something like this. Yeah, you know, the sad reality when I look at it and I break everything down, it's all about money. Yeah. It really is, and, and that's such so sad. Um, when I look at how Purdue Pharmacy marketed OxyContin initially, they lied. They lied to these doctors. They said, oh, there's only a 3% you know, addiction rate. Years later, we discovered, no, that they flat out lied. And it's all about the money. Same with the whole you know, medical marijuana dispute. Um, one of the things I learned, and you know, I've got friends who smoke. God love them. I love my friends, but and they respect me, and I respect them. But you know, the the speaker compared it to the cigarette industry, and how it was years later, all of these secret memos came out, and results of secret research that the cigarette companies released, saying we knew all along this was addictive. We lied to you. You know, this whole medical marijuana. Um, movement that's going on, there is a lot that people do not realize. They don't realize who was on the board in some of these states making these decisions. They don't understand the, the PACs and the, the money being spent to try to convince people that it's okay. Um, when on the flip side, there's a whole lot of research out there that shows, you know, the negative, rea you know, negative consequences to it. So sadly, yeah, it's all about the dollar bill, all about the Benjamins. It's all about the Benjamins. All about How the much Benjamins. is enough? When yeah. is it ever when enough? It? It's more about the money. It's like the power. It's the control. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So now we're at the point in the show where I like to talk about the good part of this. <laughs> What's recovery like? How's life now, Karen? Oh, life is just amazing, I have to say, Jack. Um, every day, it just... I wake up, I, I actually, I feel happy. I mean, even when there's bad days at work, there's this happiness inside of myself right now. And I can't even explain it, to be honest with you. It's just a good feeling. It's like when you're listening to a really great song on the radio that you've loved for years, it's just wonderful. I, I don't know. It's just, as long as I keep doing this every day and feeling this great, there's no reason that, you know, that I should ever turn back my So you have a back. life in recovery. I do have a life in recovery. Yes, better it than is the life possible. you had drunk every day. Oh, a hundred times better, definitely. And yes. Mary Ellen, do you have a life in recovery? Oh boy, yeah. You know, I gotta say though, it's not always um, unicorns and rainbows, without a doubt. Right. I say all the time, it's, it's not, not Cadillacs and caviar. No, not That's at all. Correct. You know, I mean, I'm coming up, I'll be 19 years on January 1st. <laughs> I look at the things that I've been able to do and have because of my recovery. I was able to be home with my family and be by my dad's side when he crossed over. Had I been using, I, I would have never been here. I've been able to get a stronger relationship with my sister. Um, I, I just can't even begin to talk about her and how much I admire her and her strength. I have that because of my recovery. And, and you know, you just said you, you developed a relationship with your sister, but there are situations where families don't get repaired. Correct. I mean, I, I've, uh, I haven't talked to my brother in, other than a, a couple of words in the last 19 years. Mm -hmm. I've tried, I've done all I can, and he's not receptive to that. And it, yeah, just because we get to recovery and life gets better and we start to enjoy life and things look rosy, it does not mean that every problem is going to go away. Oh, it no. doesn't mean you're no, going to get a million dollars. Nope. It, none of that. It, we will have the tools to deal with life yeah. without drugs and alcohol. That's what I've earned here. That's what I've, and I mean earned because we all work at this. It's not, you don't walk in one day, get a ticket punched, and that's it. You don't have to come back. You have to work at recovery on a daily basis. And if you do work at it, you will be able to deal with life's ups and downs. Yes. You know, I have a friend, Tommy, he likes to call life lasagna. <laughs> you know, it goes up and down, a lasagna needle, noodle. But sometimes the peaks are much higher and sometimes the valleys are much lower. But staying in a program, having others in your life, you get the tools you need to deal with those things. That's what I found here. I don't want anybody to ever be confused and think, oh, well, if I stop drinking, I stop using, I'm going to get a Cadillac, I'm going to get a nice job uh -uh. and a big house, and my wife and kids and everybody else are going to love me again. No. They're not, yeah. That's not right. promised. I think one of my favorite sayings is, as long as I don't do one thing, there's a million things I can do. The yeah, minute the that I do that, do? the minute I do that one thing, which is to pick up, right. all bets are off. But as long as I don't do one thing, which is pick up, there's a million things I can do. And Karen, you being new 
in recovery. Do you believe that also, that if you if you start to drink again, you'll destroy whatever it is you're starting to build? Almost certainly. Yeah, I, I say 100% was, de that's definitely correct, Jack, um, without a doubt. Um, I feel I've made such small stepping stones in my recovery right now, but it is a lifelong journey. And it's a lifelong journey that I'm, I'm very happy with, even at being such short time in recovery. It's, uh, it's made a lot, of, uh, a lot of things stronger in my life. Um, and I don't ever want to see that go back and go to this dark side that I was at once before. I know uh, in 19 years, I have developed a relationship with my family that I didn't have prior to that. And I've got relationships with other people that I couldn't have had if I wasn't in recovery. But I also believe that if I take one drink, that all goes away. I don't have to take 10 drinks. I don't yep. have to get drunk. Correct. I have to pick up one drink and I lose all of that and I might not ever get it back. I, right. mean, yeah. I don't know if I relapse, will I ever have a relationship with Carly like I have today or, or, or the rest of the family? And I say Carly because she's in, in recovery with me and, and we walk this journey together. But I don't know that, that I could ever get any of that back. So there are days when I wake up and say, am I really an alcoholic? Because mm -hmm. I just stopped drinking one day. Sure. And and although the horror stories in my world are much greater than some, like, than, than Karen's might be. I mean, I did go to prison twice. I have been bankrupt three times. I lost my business. I lost everything. I Carly didn't talk to me for a year. I mean, that's the most painful thing out of all I lost, was that 12 months without that I lost with Carly. But, so, yeah, I wake up some days and say, I just stopped drinking. Am I really an alcoholic? Do I really have a problem? And my answer to that is, it's not worth it to find out. It's just too expensive for yep. me to find out. Yeah, oh, maybe I can be a social drinker. I mean, I, I heard a guy say recently, maybe you only had a drinking problem, that, that you weren't really an addict, that you just needed to slow down. The cost is too great for me to find out. I'm not willing to take that risk today. Yeah, mm -hmm. what's a user versus an abuser? You know, um, is there is there a formula? I mean, when do you become where you get that tipping point where it just continues and it spirals? Yeah, I think it's different for everybody. I know for me, one of the things I look at is when does your life become unmanageable? Because the unmanageability is, is the tipping point. Yeah. But, you know, in my case, I didn't recognize unmanageable. Mm -hmm. I honestly thought that the stuff going on in my life, losing a business, going bankrupt, having the New York State Police raid my office, I just thought that was part of life and part of business, and what's the big deal? I didn't recognize that as unmanageable. So, again, everybody's journey mm -hmm. is different. Mm -hmm. at, at, at what point, Karen, did you say, well, you explained it to us, basically, that enough is enough. And, and enough is enough, yeah. I didn't even know when it was unmanageable. I didn't realize it was unmanageable. Yeah, I didn't see that. I had that. to figure that out, to be honest with you. I had no clue. Um, I didn't even know that it was considered a disease until I literally actually got help. And it makes sense to me now. But And it was also called an allergy, mm -hmm. from what I've been told. So, Thanks, guys. This has been wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. I can't to, believe uh, how fast the I hour know. I know. We want to say thank you to Clearbrook Treatment Center, Serenity Lodge, Attorney Jason Mattioli, and Archstone Recovery for making this show possible. We also want to thank local artist Kate, that's K-8, for creating this show's mu original music. And it's appropriately named New Beginning. Now, we'll be back next week here on WILK at noon. We're also going to have on our Facebook page a link to Mary Ellen's book. I highly recommend um, that you read 12 Steps on the Rock with a Twist, A Few Sips of Early Recovery. Thank you all so much. This show Thank will you. be available online tomorrow, and we'll be sure you all have a link. Have a great, great week, everyone.